this is the book report the next two semesters um and that's in addition to my job um and it entails just doing a lot of shadowing of different administrators going to an enormous amount of meetings outside of the school day um, going to school board meetings site council meetings basically being a full-time administrator um, might be the best way to describe it so it's a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah that does sound like a enormous responsibility i was telling somebody today that i started this podcast in my um boring season okay as part of the way to alleviate the boring season and it's getting really quickly into the busy season and i was like oh this is going to be suddenly a source of stress and not just a fun thing to do i got you 100 percent. yeah but it's still real fun right now and it's getting even more fun mm -hmm. uh, so we record we record this like almost two weeks out um from when y'all listen to them and so today that we're recording is national talk like a pirate day so, and if you're not following us on twitter wait at, uh, hold up we're already recording oh i am Arr, Macy, you, you ruined the whole day for me <laughs> i thought we'd be just shooting the shit and blowing in the breeze well, I thought we were too, but then you said you were already recording. No, so I just said my recorder too. was on. I didn't say that I was recording recording. There's a difference between recording and recording recording. I see. Uh, I actually completely understand what you're saying and agree with you. A vast. Okay, well then we can back up into not recording, but having the recorder on. No, you us. can't do that. We just had our best riff <laughs> session of all time. You have to delete that now, you dummy. Arr. <laughs> You've confused the hell. <laughs> That's fine. All right, we can also just cut out whatever you want to talk about. Is fine too. No, it's fine. We can do that at the end. You just really confused That's me. That's fine. So wait, since it's <laughs> no, talk like a pirate day, do I need to review a book about pirates? Because I will totally. No, you don't. I will. Dang it! If you have one on hand, I have do it. several. I like this genre. All right, um, then I'm excited for that. Sweet. I definitely don't have a book about pirates today. But I was going to say, if you don't follow us on Twitter, you definitely should. Because over the last two days, I've interacted with two of my favorite authors just because I tweeted about stuff that was going on. Uh, we're at On Twitter, we're at book underscore pod. Um, and today, uh, Kenneth Opal, author of all kinds of things, and I, I have his book on my short list of one of his books on my short list of books to do on this podcast, but he retweeted, uh, I tweeted a whole bunch of books that just happened to have pirates in them for National Talk Like a Pirate Day, and he retweeted that. But then yesterday, I was covering my basis on the last published podcast where I talked about the Animorphs, when I realized that I didn't, I failed to mention in that episode that it was, the whole books were written under K. Applegate's name, but they were written as a husband-wife duo. Um, with Kay Applegate and Michael Grant. He was actually, he's actually listed as a co-author on all the books. They just wrote them under her name. Um, and uh, several ghostwriters. So I was trying to just like mention all the ghostwriters and that on Twitter. And not only did he respond and retweet that, but he went on and we had a conversation on Twitter where he detailed some really interesting stuff about the ghostwriting process. And it was 
whether or not this podcast goes anywhere, whether or not anything happens, this is a highlight of my life that was so cool that I just got to talk to one of my favorite book authors. Very neat. Very neat. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. All right. But yeah, this week, uh, this last couple weeks has been an insane, ridiculous roller coaster in my life. I have a new niece. Congratulations. Um, yeah. I'm full-on growing a breakup beard. Um, I have That seems like the wrong job. response for breaking up. You should become more attractive when you break up, not less attractive. Because you're now First back all, on the market. beards can be attractive. Nah, I mean, you have patchy red hair. So is it is it attractive, Joel? I've never fully committed to growing a beard. I've always just chickened out when it got long and gross looking. Sure. So now I'm just like... Why not? Okay. What, like, I have a few months left before session kicks in, and I have to look presentable at all times. So let's see if I can get it. Why not? A beard that looks presentable. Yeah. Hey, just match it with a ponytail or a man bun at this point. Okay. Just see what happens. I feel like you're making fun of me. No, nah, just see what happens. It'll be fun. Uh, and then all kinds of other weird job stuff is happening that I can't really get into. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting year coming up. Okay. And it's just been like weird ups and downs this last couple of weeks. How have you been? Busier than you can possibly imagine. I'm in the middle of, yeah. you know, I'm in the middle of uh, the school year, which is always busy for a teacher. On top of that, I'm working on a master's program, um, also doing this podcast. And it's a lot. <laughs> There's other stuff going yeah. on, but those are kind of the main, main things that keep me busy on top of, you know, social life stuff. So I would just like to take a nap if I could. What's a social life? I've uh, heard of these uh, things. Yeah, it's it's where you talk with people who are drinking beer at the same time as you. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, I have one of those. Oh, good. Good. Every, <laughs> everyone should. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think oh, that also... is actually how I want to describe a social life from now on. Just <laughs> that thing you do when you're drinking beer and talking to other people. Yeah, yeah, it's way easier. I like that. I can I can get behind it. Uh, I found out one of my um, old like Lawton church friends uh, has started a podcast where they talk about Disney movies, and I'm going to be a guest on that podcast. By the time this one comes out, I probably will have already been on it. Um, it's called uh, The Princess and the Podcast. If y'all want to check that out, if you just can't get enough of my voice, I'll be on there talking about one of my favorite Disney movies. Which one? I don't want to spoil anything for that podcast, but I don't actually. But I guess this will come out after it. No, this is so. like an advertisement. I'm just asking you, like. Oh. I will be talking about the much overlooked Disney classic Atlantis: The Lost Empire. You know what? I really was hoping that I could make fun of you for your choice in favorite Disney movie, but I I can get behind that one. It's a really good, really <laughs> underrated movie. It's and I, I just recently I rewatched it last night or most of it last night. I did kind of fall asleep because I started it real late. But holy crap, it was not for kids. Like there was a lot of suggestive stuff in that movie. No, it was great. The scantily good. clad main female lead, Kita. Mm -hmm. Uh just and uh, the and the. Just very um, okay. This, we might have to mark this episode explicit after this. No, nope. but you know the don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> you know the concept of big dick energy. It's all over Twitter. Only, only because this? Pete Davidson and Ariana Grande made it a thing. Yes, 
Yeah, they made it a bigger thing than it was, but it was a trending thing on Twitter for a while before that. Don't believe you. Well, there's a there's a, an old lady in this film, and again, I'm robbing from a podcast I'm going to do, who has uh, like big old lady energy, and it's the greatest mood, and I wish I could be an elderly woman and just have the devil-may-care attitude that she has at all times. All right. She might be my so, favorite character in all the films. For the record, I am now going to need you to title this episode, I Wish I Were a Big Elderly Woman. <laughs> Can do. Good Can deal. That's all do. I need. Awesome. <laughs> That's done. I'm writing that down. <laughs> Thank God. Quote <laughs> of the day, kids. <laughs> um. So this is uh the book report, and I'm Joel Dean. <laughs> I'm the other guy, Stephen Reese. <laughs> and um, because some people, if you've just jumped in on this podcast and you don't understand, because some of my friends who asked me about it, even though they've listened to a few episodes. Uh, we are just trying to recommend books you've hope maybe never heard of or just barely seen and haven't actually read yet. Our whole goal is to just get people to read more and read things they may never have read before. Uh, so that's what this book is. Like the Bible, is, just the Quran, the Vedic literature, oh, the Tao Te Ching. Oh, manuscript or something crazy like that, some religious text. No, that's mm. not even interesting. You got me thinking. I hate everything. I'm sorry I said that. Guys, don't read the Bible or the Quran <laughs> or the Vedic manuscripts. It's all just a waste of time. Well, no one can all right. read the Congratulations, Vedic Joel. I just alienated nine-tenths of our audience. Uh, who's the tenth? Or just the atheists are sticking yeah. around? So, for all you atheists hanging out, <laughs> church. Am I right? Uh <laughs> I don't even have anything. To, I can't even riff off that. I don't have a don't have a response to that. That's fine. Well, uh, what are you? What book are you going to tell me about today? Well, I couldn't decide because you told me it was Talk Like a Pirate Day, and now I can't decide if I want to talk about a pirate novel or if I want to talk about the book I was originally going to review. Um, so, okay. so tell me the um, genre of yours, and maybe that'll help me decide. Uh, my genre. I actually stuck with my. Uh, prediction last week of what i was going to review and i'm going to be doing an urban fantasy urban fantasy okay uh that doesn't help me because obviously one of my books is a pirate book and the other one is not um so well let's cool. give the titles and if either of your books makes you have to go first i think i want you to do it because i've gone first the last two times okay so in uh, that case i actually have a book that starts with um oh ooh, this isn't gonna help all right tell me the name of your book it's called Libriomancer by Jim right. C. Hines. Sorry, that didn't help. One of my books starts with an A and the other one starts with a C. Okay, well then you're going to have to go first either way. So you just need to flip a coin or something. I don't have do a that coin. Thing, do that thing where you flip a coin and you don't actually care about the response because when it's in the air, you decide what you actually want. Every time I do that, I just decide I want ice cream. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> That's all I ever want. Okay. I was um, taking a drink pizza. in the middle of that, and I just almost spurted stuff out of my nose. So that was fun. <laughs> um, okay. Tell you what. I'll do the one that I've actually prepared for. Um, okay. Now, the the pirate book I was going to talk about, if I would have talked about I might just talk about it next time because it's a great book. So I'm going to actually write it down on my, my list. Um, and I think you've actually read it. Okay. But it, it was going to be Castaways of the Flying Dutchman by Brian Yeah, Jakes. that's... 
that's one of the books I tweeted about today. Yeah. My pirate. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. yeah. I'm excited for you to do that one because I haven't read so, that in so long. No, it's good. Remember it. Have you read the second book in the novel? I have not. I have not. Oh, that's too bad. It's it's pretty it's pretty quality. Um, the other book I thought about doing, not because it's a good book, but because it was a pirate book, was Pirate Latitudes by Michael nope. Crichton. Um, nope. And I, I know you hate that one. I know you hate <laughs> that one. So I'm I'm saving that one for uh, when we do our episode of books that the other person our dislikes. Book debates episode. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Have you actually read Pirate Latitudes or do you just hate it out of I hand? started it and okay. I, that, that's one of the only books I've never been able to finish because I got so livid. No, it's it's great. It's like the movie adaptation of Pirates of the Caribbean, but without Jack Sparrow. Tonight's or happened. anything interesting happening. Yeah. All right. So People anyways. Um... Don't publish books posthumously. When someone dies and they have a complete manuscript hidden away in their notes, they obviously didn't want it to see the light of day. Mini rant over. <laughs> I mean, all right. Joel. <laughs> To be fair, and I know that you also don't like this series, but the end of the um, Wheel of Time series was phenomenal, and it was it was finished after Robert Jordan died. So yes, but he intended to finish that. That is he true. You make, to you fi- make like, points. Crichton wrote all of Pirate Latitudes probably just the day after he saw <clears throat> Pirates of the Caribbean, just as an exercise or something, and then never showed it to anyone. And right, hey, was you. like, okay. Rain it sorry. in. This is for the episode where we get to talk know, about books you hate. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started. I you think should I know already this by did. now. <laughs> All right. So anyways, your book was what again? Libriomancer by Jim C. I don't C. think Hines. that's a word, but all right. It it's sounds not, I can already word. guess what the the type of book it is, but um my book is called Airframe by Michael Crichton. Have you read that one? I believe so. Because Ooh, I've read almost all of Michael Crichton. Saying you believe probably... so means it didn't make an impact. That's unfortunate. No, it's just I read all of my almost all of Michael Crichton, and I can't remember which ones I didn't. Is Airframe the one where uh, it's a investigative reporter trying to figure out why a plane crashed? Heck yeah, it is. All right, then I have read this book. Good. Okay, but I it's been you a got long it completely time, wrong, so... but that's basically what's happening. Okay, <laughs> see, it's been a very long time. Yeah. All right. All right so I will, I will go first. Um, disclaimer: I wrote a ton of notes while reading this book uh, again, but I apparently deleted all of them because oh. you know what? Why not just do things extemporaneously? So like basically, what happens is there is a plane crash. Obviously, since Joel just spoiled it, but there's a plane crash, and I think that's the, like the um, opening of the book. That's not a spoiler. You know what? It's a spoiler for people who have not read the book. All right. All right. Good. So there is a plane crash and the main character is the vice president of a company that um, is in charge of, of making the aircraft. So it would be similar to like a Boeing or a, uh, um, like a, yeah, Lockheed Martin would be a good example. But anyways, the vice president is trying to figure out what happened and they're spending the entire book just trying all of these different things um trying to figure out was it the um was it pilot error was it mechanical error what is going on with this flight and part of the issue is that it's causing a lot of consumer confidence issues and i i really do like this book especially in the current um current climate 
because we very recently had that whole debacle with Boeing and was it the 737 that were all um, yeah, having those those issues with crashing and all of that the and the, the software issue. Yeah. And so I, I think that it's interesting that Airframe was incredibly ahead of its time because you have the 737 debacle of this year with all of these planes that are crashing and no one wants to fly on them. Um, I know when my wife and I went to Cancun this summer, um, almost Ooh, every airline had fancy. canceled. Every airline had canceled their 737 flights, and that was causing a huge backlog of flights, and it was causing travel issues and all this stuff. But the whole story, like you said, does involve an investigative journalist. Um, I probably just resonated. I was, I'm remembering now that I just resonated yeah. with that character because I was a journalist. So, <laughs> right, and I think that's true. And one of the reasons why I thought you would like it is because one of the major characters is an investigative journalist. But what's interesting about this book is that one of the central themes of it is really delving into the issues of sensational media stories, yeah. especially when um, the media distorts the truth in order to produce a better selling story. Uh, and was kind of a big media critic in a few of his books. He wasn't the well, biggest fan of bad journalism, at least, but journalism in general, it seemed like sometimes. Well, I don't know if that's entirely fair. I think that, um, you know, there's that old William Randolph Hearst line, you give me the pictures and I'll give you the war. There's definitely a under undercurrent of sensationalism in journalism because it sells. And even though Crichton can be critical of media and things like that, he is also one of the most widely published authors because he is really good at researching every single thing that he writes. Um, if you go into his other works, a lot of them are just dense technical manuals on whatever type of story he's talking about. Oh, yeah. Um, whether it is... Yeah, it's, he it's everything he it's, needs to do to write the book. He doesn't go into anything yeah. hand wavy. One one of my favorite books by him is Timeline, and his science mm -hmm. isn't great in it, but he spends almost three or four chapters just delving into the science behind quantum mechanics and how it could possibly facilitate time travel. And it's it's dense, but it's really interesting. Yeah, he's and the, he it's not my favorite trope in. Sci-fi, it's actually like I, I'm I'm usually fine with suspending my disbelief and letting things be hand waved in sci-fi if the story's good enough. Okay. But Michael Crichton is not okay with that and he will No. He will come up with an an explanation that works with our understanding of science before he will do something sciencey, hand wavy in any of his books. So it's I, I respect well, the man for doing that. <laughs> Yeah, and while I was rereading this, I kind of realized something about Michael Crichton. Um, anyone who's a big Tolkien fan knows that Tolkien is a huge fan of languages. Mm -hmm. um, that, that was his emphasis. He was always someone who liked to create languages. And one of the major theories behind the Lord of the Rings trilogy and even the Silmarillion and all of his other excellent works is that the Lord of the Rings was just a playground for him to test out all of his different languages um, and the way that he named things in his made up languages. And at his heart, Tolkien was a linguist. And if you go back and reread the Lord of the Rings, you can see that because he, he gives things names in, you know, English and then also in Elvish. And sometimes he'll even cross over into like the Dwarven languages and, 
and the ancient languages. And, and there's so much language just peppered throughout the book uh, that sometimes it does become a difficult read, but that was really one of Tolkien's strong suits. And you can almost understand that he just wrote this book because he wanted to see what his language would be like in a, in a real world without, you know, because in, in his world in the United Kingdom, he wasn't necessarily able to use his language on a day-to-day basis, Mm -hmm. but in his books, he was able to make them a part of the culture, make them a part of everything. Um, I think Michael Crichton does that with, with science and with his theories. So it's not so much that he writes a book to entertain people, but I think that he writes books in order to explore his research topics. And I always find that really interesting. And Airframe is no exception. I know that one of the big criticisms of Airframe is that people have said sometimes it reads like a dense technical engineering manual for airplanes, <laughs> which I, I think is true. But at the same time, Airframe is one of my favorite books by Michael Crichton because it keeps coming up in real life for me. Um, there is a lot of stuff that I learned from Airframe, both about engineering, which is useful because that's what my wife does for a living, and also just airplane safety. And it's really interesting because he focuses so much on airplane safety that you learn that there are multiple redundancies for every step of the airplane construction process. And if there is something that goes wrong on an airplane, it's okay because there's a redundancy that will correct that. Um, and it it makes you feel a lot better about flying on an airplane. That being said, uh, Michael Crichton interviewed a lot of different people about airplane events. He even spent time reviewing the, I think it was the National Transportation Safety Board's um, incident reports. And he found all of these different incidents of people like um, letting their kids sit on their lap and pilot an airplane, which ended up causing a crash. Um, Yeah. I mean, and when I found that out, I went and searched the NTSB's report log as well. And one of the first things I found was a guy who crashed an airplane because he saw a coyote on the ground just running and he decided to follow it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I know. So it's just like I would love to be in an airplane that is not piloted by a human being. I prefer robots because apparently we're just too distractible. He just saw something on the ground and was like, I'm going to follow that in my giant airplane. Yeah, and then the guy runs into some telephone lines and crashes the plane. So (laughs) that's my favorite thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty wild. And it it makes me just um, really excited for the day. I'm actually a huge Tesla fan, not because of Elon Musk, who's a nutcase, but because I would really love to be on a road that doesn't have humans driving cars. Yeah, that would be Uh, ideal. I just, I hate. Yeah, I think that it's. At the end of the day, I think it's safer. So, and that's not. Just I, a I like on this book just, for that reason alone. I'm sorry, I was interrupting you. No, I was not just at all. saying. I said I hate other people, and that's not necessarily resigned to just driving. I just kind of generally hate it. <laughs> so, for everyone listening, <laughs> Joel doesn't know you, but he does hate this you. This is true. I have a pessimistic outlook on other people, and uh, you have to convince me to not hate you. That's how I approach every other person I meet. It's probably not ideal. (laughs) Now, to be fair, uh, every person Joel meets, he might hate you immediately upon meeting you, but give it about five minutes. He'll probably like you. That's true. And 
for those of you who I actually know, you know by now that if I'm not actually mean he to hates you, you, I really do hate you. He hates you. He hates yeah, you. Yeah. Oh, I don't he know why you. this made me think of this, um, but we have an international audience now. Cool. We have one listener in England that we both know. <laughs> it's definitely just someone using a VPN. No. The end. It's your friend. It's definitely Emma, isn't yes. it? <laughs> Hi, Emma. She, uh, I posted on Instagram um, uh, just a picture of the mic set up and the fact that we have a podcast. And she commented, I'm only three minutes into the first episode and I absolutely love this. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it showed up on the tracking thing that we have on a listener in England. I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I uh, love that. Well, I think an international audience is great, uh, especially for this book, because it, you know, there are, um, I remember when, and I don't know if any of our listeners remember this, but there were a couple of Malaysian flight mm-hmm. incidents a few years back. Um, and I was living in China at the time. And so really the only option I had for flying anywhere was Malaysian airlines. And like two um, went missing in rapid succession, right? Yeah, like right after the other. And um, so they, they went missing. And I think it was less than a month after that happened. I was uh, traveling through Southeast Asia with my dad. And I was like, hey, let's uh, hop on a plane to Thailand. And we got on and, you know, we didn't die, obviously. So that was exciting. But I think it just goes to show that we have so many flights, you know, going all over the world daily. And there really aren't that many um, that many incidents. And reading Airframe, one of the reasons I love it is because it really just delves into all the safety mechanisms that that surround Mm -hmm. air travel. But even more than that, like you said at the very beginning, a lot of it does feel very much like a mystery novel. You're trying to figure out what is going on with this plane. And eventually they they figure it out and it's it's surprising. Um, But that's not necessarily the biggest reveal. It's more that ultimately one of the decisions they make is whether or not to publish what happened or try and salvage their corporate relationships. Um, and the choice that they make really, really says something about um, just our, our world in general and even the overall theme of the book. But I, I remember one specific part of the book that I thought was interesting because they're trying to um, figure out what happened with the plane. And so they take the plane up into the air and the vice president is on it and they try and replicate Mm -hmm. what happened to cause the plane to crash with everyone on board. And it is such an interesting thing to read that even though the last, the first time I read this book was probably a decade ago, I have never been able to forget this scene because it's just insane that you would decide to test out airplane failure by strapping yourself into an economy class seat and just going for it. And it was, if I remember correctly, it was like extremely intense because only one person on the plane had actually, like their theory was panned. Like there was a few theories on what actually happened, but only one person obviously could have been right. And she, I want to say she was the only one confident that like this is what's going to happen and so wasn't scared at all and i think had taken like dopamine patches and stuff beforehand to make sure she wouldn't get Mm -hmm. sick but everybody else like thought they were getting on board a plane that they could die and was terrified but still did it to try to figure out what was happening yeah and i think that's one of the the strong points of michael crichton is that he um 
One of the things that is a constant theme throughout all of his novels is human stupidity. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at Jurassic Park and you've just got these idiotic characters who are doing the stupidest things in a place filled with prehistoric creatures that have the ability to rip you limb from limb. You look at, you know, Predator and, or not Prey, um, stupid people doing stupid things. You look at airframe and it's people getting on an airplane that's probably going to crash and kill everyone. And it's just incredible how often that theme comes up. And it's not, um, and it's not just stupid individuals. And it's I, often like it's people making stupid decisions because of corporate greed or corporate like stupidity. Yeah. Or even people who are highly educated and should know right. better making stupid decisions. And at the, when I was making my notes, I decided that that was actually the main reason I thought you would like this book. Uh, because I think Michael Crichton views people the same way you do. <laughs> He's kind of got a pessimistic view of people. And it's just this idea that people are idiots. And if you give them enough of an opportunity, they will demonstrate their stupidity in a very, very bad yeah, that way. That is a very good hook. And that is definitely a <laughs> point of view me and Michael Crichton share that people are general, generally <laughs> dumb and they can be heroic, but they're still generally dumb. hundred percent. And that is pretty much all I have for the book. So I don't know if you have any questions. I know you've read the book. No, I was, um, but if there's anything you feel that I didn't flesh I had out a scene enough that I can't remember if it was from that book or it was from a different one because it feels out of place. The more I think about it, but was there an early scene where that VP goes into like a, VR office to look for files and gets like queasy because things are set wrong. Did that happen in Airframe? I don't remember. He writes a couple of books about corporate um, corporate issues. The first one I ever read was the one where it's set in Japan. Hmm. I think it's called Red Sun Rising or something. I, just, I have um, this distinct scene and I want to say it's an Airframe but it doesn't actually feel like it fits the more I think about it but that a Okay. Like instead of having a normal filing system, for some reason, all their files are on this weird VR headset and like omnidirectional uh, uh, oh, okay. treadmill thing that they go on. And she was laughing because they had just cleaned up the area because the last person who had used it got sick. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't know. It's it's weirdly prescient because now all our VR stuff is if certain people just can't handle them and get sick with them. Oh, I can't. I went to a technology training for um, how to use VR stuff in the classroom, mm -hmm. and I wore it for maybe 15 minutes, and I was motion sick for the rest of the day. See, I took it off. I quit the training. I just listened to the presenter, and I, I was done. Do I do not enjoy them, it. But with glasses, it's difficult. You have to have the ones that like. So sure. I just don't mess with them usually. Okay. Very cool. No, but yeah, airframe. Great read. I, I should I should retouch. I should reread it. But I have a few other Crichton books that I haven't gotten to that I'd probably read first. But yeah, Airframe was a great book. Well, I'm a huge Michael Crichton fan. For the longest time, he was same. He was one of my favorite authors um, because he's kind of the master of the technical thriller, which is a rare genre to get into. So I always enjoyed his books. I mean, Congo, State of Fear, yeah, Prey, uh, obviously the Jurassic Park mo books. Mm -hmm. uh, Andromeda Strain, mm -hmm. Ugh, such a good book. Yeah, he's yeah. he he was a master at the genre. All right, so tell me about your book. Okay, so I'm doing a book called Libriomancer. It's by Jim C. Hines, and it is a fairly recent book. Like I think it came out in the last decade. 
Um, and I'm doing this book not because it's one of my favorite books, um, not even because I wouldn't probably put it in my top 50 or top 25. I do love this book. It is good. I've just read way too many. Um, but because last week um, we you talked about, uh, or maybe it was the week before, you said something about you that the whole podcast is me trying to come up with a grand unified theory of all books. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what Libriomancer is. <laughs> it's an urban fantasy that has kind of the most impressive, all-encompassing idea for how magic works. And it really is, it's sold entirely on this idea. The story is interesting. The mystery things are happening are interesting. And the books after this one are really, really good. Um, and I actually would normally recommend them more, but I've been recommending like sequels and later in series more. But this book has one of the best ideas, singular ideas, that's translated in, and the author has thought it out all the way out. So, against my wishes normally, I'm going to have to describe the lore instead of telling you the story that happens in it. Because the lore is the selling point of this book. I'm just going to have you get so, to the point. I believe in you. So magic exists in every form you've ever heard about. Um, wizards and witches and all those things exist. Great. So this is a Jim Butcher novel. Kind of. Okay. But uh, it it's shares some similarities. The problem is um, even if you have magical ability, even if you have the strongest belief possible, um, kind of like the King Killer Chronicles LR, even if you can believe things that aren't true, um, your magic is still... Like there's a one in a billion chance that you're going to be strong enough to actually manifest anything mm-hmm. because your singular belief um, can't undo reality, can't change the reality around you. But what if you could tap into the collective imagination of hundreds or thousands or millions? What if you can compound and focus that belief? Wow. I see where he could... got the name of the book already. Yeah, what if you could tap into yep. every book ever written and literally pull out whatever you want? Sure. So all the all the magicians in the books, not all of them, but for the most part, the Libriomancers, or porters as they're called, are able to physically reach inside of books and pull objects out of them. Um, you know, so, I did that for a while, but my local library kicked me out for defacing the property. <laughs> yeah, it, it gets dangerous real quick. <laughs> But that's kind of the point. Like that idea, if you're a reader at all, if you have a favorite book at all, you're immediately thinking of all the possibilities of things you could just rip out of your favorite book and it would make life so much easier. Yeah, I was going to say when you described this, I was thinking that the author definitely knows his audience because I think that for any bibliophile, this might be their wet dream. Just the idea that all of the reading I've done in my life finally amounts to something. Yes, your, your main character... Isaac is a librarian at the start of the book, and he's just a researcher, or not even a researcher, he is a cataloger. His entire job is to read every new book that comes out and catalog what could possibly be useful or what could possibly be too dangerous that's in this book that we need to watch or control. All right, again, this is just like someone who reads yes, best it's fantasy. Wish, like it's, <laughs> it's wish fulfillment. Yeah, like, oh my God, there's a job where all I do is read every new book and I get paid to do it? Sign yeah, me up. Exactly. And that's... Cool. That's my only real problem with this book. Um, 
it takes a very juvenile approach to this. It feels very wish fulfillment and feels very it's just kind pandering of to his audience. For a yeah, while. very pandery. Sure. Um, however, it still go- has a interesting story going on, and he actually has thought out all the ramifications of this. He made a hard magic system that has mm. got infinite possibilities, and he thought through all of it and presents okay. you a story that happened in it. So it's really, really cool. Uh, the story, the basic story is that, um, well, I have to go a little bit more backstory before I can give you the story. Vampires, werewolves, all the magic creatures, those also exist. And for the most part, they're not natural, though. For the most part, they're accidents. So, you know, somebody read Bram Stoker's book and reached inside to pull out something and, like, got scratched by Dracula or mm-hmm. read, you know, uh, the Twilight books and intentionally stuck their arm in to get bit. Pulled out Kristen Cullen. Stewart? Got it. Yeah. That's uh, what happened. That's where we did wrong. Oh, exactly. No. And okay. that's actually, like, it's really fun because you can feel the author poking fun at some of these crude books that stuff happens in, um, but that, like, they now affect the real world. They now are sure. actually going on. Uh, so there's... It's a very cool of, idea. I will yeah. give it that. That's a very yeah, cool exactly. idea. Exactly. Like, just the idea itself is a good selling point. But so mm-hmm. these vampires are going missing or being killed outright, and a lot of them are starting to fight back in weird ways and are attacking the porters. Um, and no one's sure why or what's going on because there's generally a peace between everything because most of the people who have been turned to vampires are then immediately like, oh, this was not a good decision, and I don't want to be this evil creature. Um, And if they've been turned by a book in the last, you know, hundred years, they're generally, they can still be mostly themselves. Uh, They don't have, a lot of them don't even have to kill humans. They can just drink normal blood, and so they're not actually dangerous to anybody. But there's been a, a fight going on. And so the oldest and most powerful wizard, or Libriomancer, um, can you guess who it is? Take an educated guess based on... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Give me a second. Give me a second. No, no, shut up. Give me a second. All right. So we're talking about book magic, Mm -hmm. uh, which means that it's probably someone who's important for literary, whatever. Um, You said they're historical? Yes. Okay. So I would probably guess... Is it Gutenberg? Yeah, you got it. Nice. Johannes Gutenberg is the oldest and most powerful wizard. He is sure. MIA, and so are all of his um, powerful golem-like enforcers. They're automatons. Um, okay. And by the way, this is the only time I'm going to outright tell y'all not to use an audiobook, um, but I can't <laughs> get through the audiobook because listening to it, um, the the reader calls them automatons instead of automatons, and it drove me insane. I could not deal with that. I don't care that maybe there's people out there that pronounce it that way. They're wrong, and I hate them. <laughs> so let me get that strong point out of the way right there. Uh, All right, really quickly, just because I pulled up the official pronunciation guide, how do you pronounce it? Automatons. Automaton, and he pronounced it? Automatons. All right, so you are correct. Thank you pronounce you. it correctly. Thank You're welcome. You. I feel validated. No, but so they're all missing. They're these like unstoppable, powerful forces. Um, and basically a war is kind of breaking out. 
but the cataloger alongside his trusty fire spider and a powerful I'm sorry, a what? A fire spider. It's a it's a creature that he pulled out of a book that I feel like this is a little bit cheating on the author's part, but it's a book also written by Jim C. Hines that just also oh. exists in this universe. But Lame. it's a it's a fantasy book about a, a like a goblin imp thief, and there's these spiders that exist in it that can like they're fire spiders. They can produce flame and catch on fire, and they're used as kind of like canaries um, as they sense danger and they like become they catch on fire when danger's near. Uh, the fact so that he, that's his magic system and he pulled from his own work makes me kind of want to jump through his own book, pop out on the other side, and stab him. Well, here's here's the little caveat to that. There's okay. a couple times he pulls from books that don't exist, and I thought the fire spider was that. thought it was pulling from okay. a book that didn't exist just so he could invent something else. However, okay. I then realized that there's actually a book that this happens in, and I don't know which one was written first. So he may have... Written oh, this okay, book, so he may have written up, this yeah. book, and yeah, okay. I, I can check the copyright dates. I'll to see give which him one a pass. Yeah. Give him a pass. Whatever. Also, do you only read books that have spiders in them? Uh huh. I think that's your overarching theme. Is what books with spiders? Yes, apparently that is my overarching theme. Um, cool. No, but there's a uh, yeah. So him, the fire spider, and this. Um, I don't know how much detail I want to get into this because it's a interesting if pretty problematic character that i feel like the author intentionally tried to create the most problematic character he could and then like come up with an explanation as to why this is okay and write it in universe as to a more an inclusive thing um okay uh, the gist of it is she's a a a, dry, a, dry, a dryad can't say that yeah. word um, sure. and she's a dryad from like a pulp novel that never really existed. So just like a, uh, in the novel, these characters are like sex toys and well, that's ramifications of pulling one of those creatures into the real world. How would they exist in our world? And so it's an intentionally so wait, awkward. One of the main plot points of the book is that people have sex with trees. No. Um, one of the main because a dryad's is, a, a dryad's a dryad's a tree spirit, right? Yes, and if you think back to like the Greek oh, and Roman, I'm disturbed. The the dryad the dryads, uh, yeah. Often they are, they're pictured or presented as like uh, very sexual beings. They they tempt people, and uh, one of the most beautiful people in all of like I think Greek uh, mythology was turned into a tree. Just so he could stare at his reflection for the rest of. I get it. That's where we get the phrase "morning wood." Oh God. (laughs) Okay, it's all coming together. (sighs) Anyways, uh, how much of that are you deleting? Um, none of it. I'm leaving all of that in. Your horrible morning wood joke. Oh no. (laughs) No, it's not a good joke, bud. (laughs) Can't leave the bad jokes. I need people to think I'm funny. It's the only (laughs) thing that lets me sleep at night. Uh, but yeah, so there it's them three tracking down, trying to find um, Gutenberg, trying to figure out what's going on, and learning a lot about the history and how magic w- really works in this world. And that okay. is the only – I said the only problem is that uh, uh, it's a little juvenile, but I think a bigger issue for me, um, I wanted more from this book. It felt like okay. this was the – 
third or fourth book in the series almost. It feels like they are both teaching you the rules of this universe and at the same time breaking them by this is the truth of the matter, which is interesting and it's a, it's he gets all of it into this one book as an introduction and then goes on to tell the story he wants to tell in all the sequels, but it feels a little rushed and a little... I wanted to live in this world with this infinite possibility a little longer before he started changing the rules on me. I don't want to know... Sure. Yeah. So that was a, a little bit of a hiccup, I feel like. But this was the first book in a series that is still ongoing. I don't think the last book's out yet. Um, and it's just the idea alone is an amazing, amazing selling point. Uh, yeah. And then because of that, I wanted to live in it a little bit longer. Several times the author hints at a more or at least just as interesting story that you don't actually get to see all of. Um, and I know a lot of authors I like do this as a way of fleshing out their world, telling you there's a bigger story going on. But sometimes right. when they reference something, I'm just like, oh, wait, no, I want to hear that story. That sounds really, really interesting. Uh, yeah. And that's what that's a big problem I have with movies sometimes that do that. It's like, that would have been a much more interesting movie. Why couldn't you have just done that? And this book just mm-hmm. hints at a few of those. And I'm like, but but no, I I want to know. <laughs> so yeah, this book, okay. uh, so my, my final hook, what my why you would like it is this book is written for people that like to read. It's, it's as you said, it's wish fulfillment. It's all about uh, putting the characters in situations where you're like, ooh, what would I do in this situation? What, what book would mm-hmm. I pull from and how would I help myself? Um, okay. So I don't even think you needed to necessarily do a hook for this one yeah. just because the the general premise of the magic system is just something that I think any reader of sci-fi or fantasy would find inherently interesting. Um, so I I was intrigued from the beginning. I think that, you know, there's there's a definite chance I'll um, I'll enjoy something that does that. And even though it has the wish fulfillment bit, I think most fantasy novels just inherently do that right, right. because it's, it's generally geared towards people who wish that they could have some type of a superpower and be the hero and do all of these things. Yeah. This character is, and I think that's, that's the draw of the genre in general. The main character is all of us is, is every reader. He's right. He's sitting there like, I want to go to the moon. I want to use a Excalibur. Like it's and it's so much fun, uh, and he yeah. references some of my favorite books. Things happen in it that reference just like Star Wars and Star Trek books that are super deep dive nerdy. Uh, uh, Is this a young adult novel? Uh, I don't think I wouldn't call it young adult. I bet most people okay. would classify it, but he's in. He's like, it kind of sounds like it might. It's be, definitely written from... for young adult readers, but it's not got young adult main okay. characters. Um, all the characters are late twenties, early thirties, if not older. Um, deal with very more adult themes than um, most YA novels tend to deal with. But I think it was it's a adult book written in the style of YA sometimes, so that's why it feels a little bit more juvenile than I think it deserves. Okay. Um, but it's not. I wouldn't. It, well, I don't YA. even mind a YA novel. I think you're. You're thinking that I'm saying that as a negative. Um, I just and I'm, I'm really not. I was. Is my problem. No, well, I don't think it necessarily is. I think a lot of novels that I have genuinely enjoyed in my life are YA. Um, even today, when I was thinking about the show we were going to record, I I almost switched up what I was going to 
talk about twice in favor of a YA novel just because I really enjoyed them. Mm. Um, and then Castaways of the Flying Dutchman, which I was about to review, is also a YA novel. And I think I think that the older you get, you do have this um, gut reaction against anything that's geared towards younger readers. But at the same time, I think there's there's a lot of value in those novels. I think that they're light reads, they're easy reads, but they can still be very interesting and speak to some of the I don't know, like Hunger Games was a national right, phenomenon, phenomenon and yeah. that was that was YA. Yeah. So But it, I think I don't like have a one of the tenets of YA happen, has to be that the main characters are like young adults and this these people okay. are I feel like I mean, and it sounds like he is a couple times until you think about the fact that he has all he has these degrees and he's like a paraprofessional and he owns his own home. He's not a young adult. He's in his early thirties or late late twenties. Like it's not okay. Yeah. So I think okay, it, I can, yeah, it doesn't I can have all the tenets of the of the genre. Okay, very good. So, well, I can't I feel like you pitched your yeah, book. I can't even say that I will read Airframe because I have and loved it. And you've so you will read it. Got it. And you already (laughs) said that you think you'll read it just based on the concept. So I think we picked some. Yeah, I'll give it. I'll give it a whirl. Books this time, and it's a pretty short book. It's a. Um, if you like it, you will probably go want to go ahead and read the rest of the sequels because the story gets a lot more interesting after this book. But the introduction to the world is worth it. It's really cool. Um, Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. So what's your um. What's your dusk jacket say? My dusk jacket, my literary um, prophylactic, is <laughs> gross. No, it's, it's book calm. Isaac got protect against those bookworms. <laughs> Isaac Veano is a libriomancer, a member of the secret organization funded five centuries ago by Johannes Gutenberg. Libriomancers are gifted with the ability to magically reach into books and draw forth objects. When Isaac is attacked by vampires that leaked from the pages of the books into our world, he barely manages to escape. To his horror, he discovers that vampires have been attacking other magic users as well, and Gutenberg has been kidnapped. With the help of a motorcycle-riding dryad who packs a pair of oak cudgels, Isaac finds himself hunting down the dark power that has been manipulating humans and vampires alike, and his search will uncover dangerous secrets about Libriomancy, Gutenberg, and the history of magic. All right. Can I say something before I read my dust jacket? Yes. I think you sold this book better than the dust jacket. Thank did. you. I do too. <laughs> yeah, I really do. I think that that dust jacket makes it feel way too juvenile for me to ever pick up if I saw that in a in a bookstore or a library. But I think that you explained it in a way that makes me actually interested to read that, despite the dust jacket. And I so will, nice. I will give very very nice. One done. more word of caution. It that dust jacket, the feel of that dust jacket, the book tends to default to that feel sometimes, and he gets okay. away from that again in later books. But the author, I don't know, I think it might be one of his earliest works or something, but often he knee jerks back to that kind of juvenile sounding writing. When I'm like, no, you're exploring much yeah. deeper, much more interesting themes, trust yourself. Okay, so uh, very nice, we'll give that word of warning. Okay. All right. So my dusk jacket, dust jacket. I think I've said dusk twice. Maybe it's nighttime. Um, dust. It is nighttime <laughs> where I am. Dust jacket for Airframe by Michael Crichton. <clears throat> the twin jet plane en route to Denver from Hong Kong is merely a green radar blip half an hour off the California coast when the call comes through to air traffic control. SoCal approach. This is Trans Pacific 545. We have an emergency. 
the pilot requests priority clearance to land, then comes the bombshell. He needs 40 ambulances on the runway. But nothing prepares the rescue workers for the carnage they witness when they enter the plane. 94 passengers are injured, three dead, the interior cabin virtually destroyed. What happened on board flight TPA 545? Yeah, I I mean, I've read the book before, and obviously that dust, dust jacket got me to read it, but I feel like it's very clickbaity. 100%. I think Michael Crichton was the original BuzzFeed. <laughs> I don't think he would like that yeah. description. <laughs> oh, he would hate it, but I can say because he's, you know, he's crossed over into the great beyond, <laughs> the great literary heaven. Oh my gosh. All right. Do you know what you're doing next week? Well, you know, it seems like every week we almost do something and I end up changing it. So um, I think I know what I'm doing. It's probably I've talked about John Grisham a couple of times, so I'll probably do a lesser known John Grisham Ooh, novel. Is it going to be The Painted House? Um, you should do The Painted House. I love The Painted House. Should I do The I Painted House? I'll think about it. I'll let you know. Okay. Well, I have um, purchased four books in this last week, one of which doesn't even come out till next week. Um so I will either be doing one of those or more likely, and hopefully I can get it done in time, I will be doing a nonfiction book next week. Right? Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Wait, is that because next week is the video episode about the Kama Sutra? Wait, what? <laughs> I don't feel like – feel like uh, you're – Never mind. I was going to say something that I would definitely have had to cut out, and I'm just going to leave it alone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those listening, it's fun giving Joel a it hard time. It really isn't. Yeah. Uh, you, you will – somebody mark this episode. I will explain my hesitation to talk at this moment in the near future. <laughs> oh, you're going to have to cut nope. that out. You're going to have to cut that nope. whole thing out. It's staying in. Nope. You just, you said too much. <laughs> you said too much, buddy. Now you have to cut it out. <laughs> I think it's fun this way. Leaves people guessing. Do you want me to guarantee that no, you cut it out? Do you I want don't. me to guarantee you cut it out? Stop speaking. I can. I will. Uh, so y'all should follow us on Twitter at if you don't cut it out, pod and like us on Facebook. Um, and Sharon's oh we got to talk about the contest <laughs> you didn't even finish saying subscribe yeah, subscribe like leave a comment but we got to talk about the contest so we found out um that our 13th episode if we double up one more week will be on halloween and we like the idea of trying to sort of artificially boost membership by hosting a contest so we're gonna do a special episode we haven't exactly decided what we're going to do with it but we know we will be ending a contest on halloween this year um, and we will be giving away a book or books to someone who has subscribed and reviewed this podcast on itunes or wherever you review podcasts so if you want a free book and we are going to limit it to a book that we have reviewed on or i guess we're not really doing reviews are we we're kind of just doing recommendations so we're going to limit to one of the books we have recommended. If of your yes, choice. of your choice, obviously, we're not going to force you to read something. Uh, but if you will subscribe and comment on the podcast or leave a review on the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen, and then if you'll go ahead and email us at bookreportpod at gmail dot com with a screenshot of that review, 
on October 31st, we will at random choose one of the reviewers, and then we'll contact you and get all your information and send you a book of your choice. And Joel will hand deliver the book to your I mean, doorstep. If you live close enough, yeah. The service is incredible. It doesn't matter how far you live from him; he will arrive at your doorstep with a copy I mean, of the feasible, book. If it's feasible, and I'll go on a, get to go on a vacation, because I will do we it. care about <laughs> our listeners. Uh, but yeah, no cheating and choosing. So uh, for our one British listener, you know, you know what? You no, know how to Emma, get a, do a it. surprise trip I from will, Joel. I will come to London and give you a book. <laughs> Sorry for calling you out like twice on yeah, this podcast. Way to make it creepy, Stephen. Um, yeah, I'm you gonna did. Stop letting him talk now like share subscribe uh and maybe win a book yay you don't have any sign off comments for our listeners oh yeah like share subscribe and maybe (laughs) win a book you gotta be slightly more creative than that bro fine like share don't subscribe maybe win a novel okay I'm I'm stopping the recording because he's just getting repetitive. I think we've broken Steven.